0: And we are live.
1: All right. All right.
0: Welcome to the Take Note podcast with Kaylee and Ananda, and we have a special guest, very special guest today, Rukmini Poda. Very special. Very special. Aww. Thank you so much for being <laughs> here with us. Take you guys note. Have very
1: too many times.
0: <laughs> Take note. Our uh, our whole vision and mission is really to connect with the aesthetics that are inherent in the practice and the culture and the philosophy of Bhakti Yoga. Um, and, and I would say kind of in a more specific manner, really connecting with our process as practitioners of of spiritual life, that that through the spiritual journey, how does that relate and how does that move with our creative process as well? And what is the relationship between that? So we get wonderful creative persons to come on here and have deep, meaningful discussions. And uh, and here we are
1: with Rukmini Potter. Uh, Mini, you I love do? That.
2: You do quite a lot of podcasts, don't you? Quite quite often, you speak with people.
1: I do. I was actually going to say, I get, I'm, I'm starting to get self conscious that I'm like too much on the internet. Like I'm oversaturating people with my voice and my face. So I think I do, but I, I, think I also need to tone it down.
2: Well, it's, it's really <laughs> wonderful because you know I was thinking about this word cliche, mm. and um, people always say, I know it's a cliche, but and then they go on to say <laughs> what they've <been> to. <laughs> But the reason cliches are cliches is because they're super good you know mm-hmm. and um and so i think that's how you, i that's how i see you and that's how you should see yourself as well the reason you do lots of podcasts is cuz you're super good and oh. uh, well, thank clichés you. Are, are are clichés because they they make sense they they're they're <laughs> good they're practical and they serve a purpose they've captured an yeah.
0: essence of a thing that we're all looking for and experiencing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and that
2: that's actually a perfect statement i
0: think to describe you Mini. yeah um
1: an, an essence seeker i once no, made a drawing you've, about you've uh-huh. you've
0: captured the essence of our experience and what it is we're looking for
1: uh, i think i
0: think that's that's what has attracted me to your work that was that's what it has attracted me to you just as a person and i think that's you know the 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 people that you're supporting in 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 so many different ways i i i have a hinge or a, a hunch. That uh, that that's what is attra- is attracting all of them to you.
1: Mm. Um,
2: Thank you. I like how we we don't plan this, but take note. Usually, just starts with like just like attacking who, the the guest with like compliments and charm. Yeah.
1: I know I'm feeling <laughs> it. Like, I actually don't know how to respond. <laughs> well, it's it's not some
2: plan, but I guess we just we just kind of communicate. Um, telepathically, like, let's just melt their heart and then just ask. <laughs> okay. ask then then, tea, like, then take out all the,
0: take out all the ghee that's been uh, melted. <laughs> well, you both
1: heart. are very sweet and I already know that there's like a bro-fest happening there. So I think the love just naturally kind of pours out onto others. So it's, anyway, there's it. a
2: surplus. There is a surplus. <laughs> yeah, of a love. Surplus of <laughs> um, so can I, I was trying to kind of like, write a a bio for you just to share mm. with people. Mm. Um and I, I couldn't. So instead I just went <laughs> on your website and um <laughs> and just kind of like got some inspiration from there. But is it is it okay if we share some just a little bit of information about you Rook Mini so people that don't know you will be able to know you. So yeah. Rook Mini poda podar. Is that right? Podar is what I like podar. to say. Okay. Um so Rook Mini is an incredible artist mm. a designer an illustrator and you are you are you from florida originally Rukmini?
1: yeah yeah i think my website still says i live in new york but in fact i do not it's taking me a uh-huh. long time to accept that fact that I'm not a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm how, how long were you in new york uh f- i would say like four years in total and the beginning is a little back and forth but from 2016 to 2020 so maybe three and a half years
0: mm, okay
2: Awesome. Well, Rukmini does so much. Um, like currently, I guess you're you're best known for um, what you share online, especially on Instagram. And like, I guess one one thing I know you for is um, how you really pioneer and spearhead this hundred day project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, either if like if you haven't known about the hundred day product um, project, and you Come to know of Rukmini, you will definitely find out about it. (laughs) But, um, but within that as well, just within within you know under the umbrella of this hundred day project, there is such depth and such research and and just like so so much that you share, which is why I thought it was apt to Mm. name this podcast um, prolific versus perfect. I Um, love that. I think is an excellent name and uh, I'm really, very really proud. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember when I was living in the ashram as a monk we were talking about pride and pride is one of those things where like it's easy to be proud of anything like even like the way you open a door I remember one of the monks was like <laughs> did you see the way I opened that door? Like, no. Pride is a funny thing but anyway um, <laughs> but I, I think it is a good it is a good title because being prolific and, and being perfect are two almost like, I feel like they're, they're contradictory in some way, but they can be reconciled yeah. in a in an incredible way. But both terms cause dissonance for mm. me on a daily basis. And mm. no better person than you, I think, could mm. um, perhaps reconcile these things and give some insight into them. Mm. Um, yeah, when I yeah.
1: think of prolificate or pro- prolific versus perfection. I always think of quantity over quality. Mm. And of course we we are always driven towards perfection and quality. And of course there's so much value to it. But my personal motto, especially over the last few years, has been um has been quantity over quality. And it always kind of spins people's heads. They're like, I have never heard anyone kind of go for that. And I mean you how do you even get to to quality unless you do quantity first. Mm. So I just find that there's so much to be discovered when we Allow ourselves to do the work and and not chase after perfection because it will just come by showing up consistently and and as much as possible.
0: I had I had the same type of reaction. I read that on your website that quantity over quality, and I was like, "Oh, that's not normally the paradigm that I that <laughs> yeah. I function under." You know, I because I, I you know I I normally think of that term in in reference to like friendships, right? Or I think mm-hmm. of that term in reference to. Yeah, I guess, I guess relationships. That's where I kind of often like think of that term. And, and I've seen, you know, my tendency is I can be very outgoing. And, and the mm-hmm. tendency to kind of just have too much emphasis on the quantity of my relationships <laughs> rather than the quality of my relationships yeah. really doesn't inspire me. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's how I normally view that phrase or kind of when we use that idea. That's how I normally think of it, but it was a very interesting, and I and I I'm I'm excited about this conversation diving into it because, in regards to our, um, in in regards to our efforts, speci- specifically like creative efforts, um, mm-hmm. but I but I feel like it can apply to any type of endeavor, right? Quantity yeah. or quality.
1: Mm-hmm yeah definitely and like you said with relationships and friendships i mean quality is so important that's Mm -hmm. that's what we're going for but the quantity coming to a creative sense of of creating in quantity i love that because i feel like it, it invokes some sense of like surrendering the results, which is so much Mm. of what we talk about in Bhakti. But when you're doing a quantity over quality, you're just creating, you're just in Mm. the studio, you're pumping out songs, you're creating drawings, you're creating quantity, because that's kind of all you can do. You can't control the quality. You can Mm. hope for it and you can hope that it'll come as you produce more quantity. I'm getting the words mixed up, but as you create more, you're hoping it becomes Quality work, yeah. but I love that because it just reminds me that as an artist, that's what we have control mm-hmm. over. In one sense, it's just the showing up and the creating day after day. Mm-hmm. So that's always been exciting for me.
2: Do you, Rukmini, do you? Um, are you aware of this ten thousand hour rule?
1: Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> the idea that you become a master at something after ten thousand hours.
2: Yeah. So this this is what um, I guess probably many people know about this, but. Um... Yeah this is is what is said usually you can spend um 10,000 hours doing anything and usually after this very specific amount of time you will master the trade um there's a a quote that i quite like um about like f- you know failure and how i can't remember who said it but it's like you you haven't failed you've just th- found 10,000 ways that that mm-hmm. won't work you know yeah um and so i think like that would be a really interesting place to start is you know it seems like in the pursuit of perfection um in order to to even reach any hope of perfection you have to fail to some degree and
0: um sorry i didn't mean yeah to... get
1: distracted <laughs> i
0: didn't mean to... <laughs> i should wait next time but no, it's cool. this is a nice comment she was responding to where this where this quote comes from Mm mm-hmm. mhm David Maxfield. Okay, the book nice influencers.
2: Nice yeah. so so it seems like yeah, like you're saying they're actually linked, you know they're not opposites like mm-hmm. um, in order to reach perfection, you need to be prolific. you need to do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like the idea of failing is far more uh, prevalent and apparent in b- being prolific, whereas you know being like perfect is the absence of failure um but there is something actually attractive about um yeah the the perhaps the lack or the you know um the imperfections of being prolific but you know maybe those imperfections are made up in quantity but i'm i'm not sure like that i i'd love you to to elaborate on this kind of feeling of like being okay with being prolific even though you're going to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. Yeah.
1: How do you like it's... stay <laughs> totally I mean it you know, and I—I I have so much perfectionism tendencies in myself too. It's not like I—I'm just mm. this prolific artist, and I just create tons. It's—it's it's always like a dance, and it's a relationship with our own creativity. But that's why I just love the 100-day project, and I become this like ridiculous enthusiast for it each year. I mean, literally each year I tell myself like, I don't know if I want to do it. It's not like I'm pre-prepared <laughs> and I'm sold and I'm committed every year. I'm wondering, and then every year I'm like, yes, as if it's like the first time I'm doing it, and every year I'm like bringing people along with me. And of course I didn't make up this project. It's existed for so long and thousands of people do it. But for me, I have a, a love for this project because it's kind of what started me on on a creative process. that just felt a lot more, um, I don't know, like self revelatory, if that makes sense. Like a, like I learned about myself in the process because mm-hmm. I've always been creative. I, I went to school and I went to art school and I became a graphic designer. And so that's been a big part of who I am, but it wasn't until I graduated from graphic design school and I felt a little bit burnt out and just I didn't want to see a computer and I was, didn't know what I was doing with my life, whether I wanted to get a job or what I wanted to do. And then this 100 day project came along and I said, okay, perfect, this is a great excuse to just pull out my paints in my sketchbook again and just do a little doodle and to like not have an expectation of what it should be. So first of all, that itself is freeing because a 100-day project, it forces you to be prolific and it forces you um, to like let go of your expectations of what it should be. And you kind of mm-hmm. see it takes on a life of its own. So when anyone is ever struggling with perfectionism and what should I do and I feel so creatively blocked, like my answer is the same every time it's do a hundred day project. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And some people do it and they'll struggle with it. And then they'll come to me being like, oh, it's only day 30 and I failed, you know, I'm so behind. And I'm like, you did 30 things. That is amazing. Like why, why do we see it from this way of failing? Mm -hmm. And just because like we have this result, we want to get to those hundred days. And if we can't get it perfectly and in this way that we imagined, it's therefore a failure. And mm. I just think that's crazy that we all have this idea that if we, don't, if we don't have this journey and we don't go about it exactly the way we imagined mm. and, and the way it should look like, it's therefore a failure. For me, it's like, well, you just, you're just learning about yourself, you're just literally gaining data. Every mm. failure is a new data point of, oh, I did this, that didn't work in this way, let me try this. Like you said, you can either see it as failing or 10,000 ways something doesn't work. And so again, it just says so much about who we are and who our culture is that we can't tolerate the sense of uncertainty and the sense of not Mm -hmm. knowing and the sense of of going out to do something and it turns out different. But I think that lack of uh, (laughs) just like flexibility is is gonna really be a big challenge for us because we're not going to allow what's meant to be expressed to just take on a life Mm -hmm. of itself if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. in my own journey with the 100 day project, I always start somewhere and I end up totally different. But that like dance with creative uncertainty, that dance with allowing something to just be messy because it might be leading you somewhere. It's almost like your creativity is like, you almost have to see it as a different being and it's just doing, you're creating something but you're kind of following it. It's not that you're, you're telling it where to go. It, it, I mean, when you talk about creativity like this, it can sound a little mystical, but no. I think
2: yeah it's awesome i like talking of, of the mystery of it There, like from my experience and specifically my experience of your work there um there's like these nuances with being prolific and the two main i ones i can kind of identify is like form and substance um mm-hmm. by that i mean you know like how art or how anything we convey is, is like a vehicle for intention, whether it's a song or yeah. a piece of art, it's it's a, a vehicle for intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but we <laughs> often get we we focus on the form of the thing. I love that. Yeah. And um like this is something I'm going through with especially like with music, trying to release music professionally, you know, it's like you get you can get so focused on like, you know, everything's if everything's produced perfectly and everything sounds mm-hmm. clean and wonderful and and sometimes you can tweak things in such a way where you you lose some of the substance, although the form is hmm. you know, the the form is is enough. substance is gone. You know? hmm. um, so have you have you found that like in your pursuit for perfection, some of the the substance yeah. has gone, and maybe that can be you know combated with like forcing yourself to be prolific. I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could I. Yeah, a lot comes to mind, this form over substance, because when I started my little sketches, I mean, the form was very crude, full of imperfections. They were just literally these pink watercolor figures you might have seen from my first series on obscure emotions. Like I literally carried a sketchbook that would fit in my purse just because it was portable. I would do it in the parking lot on subway stations Uh and I just used one color because it was easy. Um, uh-huh. And so that was, again, very crude form. And yet the substance, I, when I look at that, I'm like, how did I create that? Because mm. there was something so honest in me that was just being translated day after day as I was like excavating my own emotions and sharing it. And what's so interesting is when I look at that series, I don't know if I could do it again with the mm. same impact because there was some, there's something about creating art that's honest. Like when you're living something and you're feeling it, it doesn't matter if you know how to draw or make music but like that that's the substance is that self-honesty and that comes across and it's like a revelation for you it's a revelation for other people who make it and for me that's actually humbling because you mm-hmm. you again feel the sense of like it's just coming through me somehow and as someone who's like an artist or the channel, I don't even know how to make a proper figure. I don't even know anything about painting and still something about that work is really touching the hearts of other people and myself. So that's like an example of like, I was just churning stuff out and I was so inspired that substance could come out of me even if the form was crude. Now, what's interesting is that it's not always like that. It changes, and then year after year, I got a little bit better in my form, and I got more thoughtful in how I present things. Um, I also got a larger following, and that also changes how you present yourself and like your standard for perfection. And mm-hmm. so, as my following went up, I wanted to keep creating art that was better and better. Um, but at times, sometimes I wondered if I did lose a little bit of my substance. And mm-hmm. and again, why the intention? Why you're creating? You know, when I first started creating i didn't care about the audience i had no following i was just making it for myself and that self honesty touches people but as i started creating for others and i had 10,000 followers 20,000 30 you know it's it's exciting but it feels like oh this is more popular on instagram or oh my audience mm-hmm. likes this better and and although you want to engage with your audience that's the part where you know even success can kind of trickle and dilute your substance a little bit and i think all artists feel this in some way that that um dance with with your own success and and that dance with keeping the integrity of your art really solid so I think mm-hmm. it's an ongoing thing sometimes I feel like my substance like where did it go <laughs> I don't even know how to create work like I did use them before and, and sometimes it comes so yeah that's an interesting thing
0: I, I as you're saying that I'm I'm, I'm relating a lot because just in my own I'm I've done one previous hundred day project and it took me more than a hundred days, it was, but it was really wonderful doing it. It was like a haiku project that I did.
1: I remember that.
0: And, um, and that, that was, it was blissful. And I'm still in the process of, I, I've I'm, I'm wanting to kind of organize all of those haikus into a book also, because it's a mm-hmm. it's hundred things that I did. Like yeah. you said, it's just like already so much was created from that. Um, this year, seeing mm-hmm. myself attempt again the 100 day project and just kind of in my own experience of um, I think I'm on like 37 day 37 and i'm I'm feeling very stuck
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I I hearing that and kind of relating to that relating to the statement you made about what is the motivation for why mm-hmm. we're creating something and especially when it comes to the creative process um, and I I was thinking about, uh, another hesitation that comes up for me with this idea of quantity over quality. And um, you know, it's, it's actually slipping my mind. So let's uh, mm-hmm. it, I wanted to come back cause it was an important yeah, yeah. point, but it's, it's, it's gone now.
1: Well, you were talking uh, about your experience with the hundred day project being stuck. Was it something to do with wanting to, to have a certain quality that you're churning out for people? And, and was that kind of what was getting you stuck or
0: yeah, I think it's I think it's the idea of yeah. What what is the what is the the purpose of what I'm okay? I, it came back. So the the whole kind of environment you mentioned social media, you mentioned okay. Instagram, like this whole idea yeah. of the. You know, Kelly and I often joke about like the algorithm and like fighting upstream against this algorithm that kind of, yes. you know, lifts certain things up and puts certain things down you know i'll post certain mm-hmm. things on instagram and it's like i feel like 2 200 people saw it then i'll post some things on instagram which i cared a lot about and it's like 10 people saw it
1: yeah you know so it's this it's this interesting <laughs> thing
0: you know and then kind of in seeing in my own relationship with creativity and specifically social media the idea that like the algorithm favors quantity right so then i'm like mm-hmm. i feel resistant to the quantity yeah Right, that mm-hmm. was another thing that was coming up for me, my resistance to just kind of the, the quantity that is almost demanded of us mm-hmm. in the environment of, of kind of the instantaneous nature of social media. Yeah. You, know, you you can be left behind if you don't produce t- so much. Totally. Right, so do you have any thoughts kind of on that and, and how you kind of felt around that with your, your own creativity?
1: Yeah. Well, I have a lot of mixed feelings about social media for sure. And let me, is my internet okay? Or maybe I just wanted to make sure I wasn't getting cut off. Uh, You're
0: you're fine. Maybe I'm getting cut off. Okay. Both
1: of you are fine right now. Okay. But uh, on the topic of social media, I have so many mixed feelings about it. I mean, in some ways I've been totally benefited from it. So I'd be a hypocrite (laughs) if I would just say like, yeah, throw it all away. But at the same time, it's such a like artificial environment. And like you said, I feel like, it, it, social media should be a tool that we use as artists mm-hmm. to to kind of amplify our own voices and creations but I consistently feel like if we're the tools being used by social media you know like mm-hmm. it's demanding for us to create a certain way and to, to create quantity and to do all mm-hmm. kinds of things and it's really tiring and I'm very much not about that you know if you asked me five years ago what do you think about social media and creativity i would be like you know it's a tool and you can use it and and i found that it can really bring people together and build community but if you asked me that today i would think differently i -hmm. think just in the last five years it's changed a lot and so because of that, I also feel like I'm I'm swimming upstream and sometimes I feel like I intentionally want to go against whatever, you know, yeah. the algorithm tells we should do. It's like, nope, I'm gonna, you know, do whatever I want to do or post the same image a bunch of times or whatever the case <laughs> is. So, so I you know, it it just comes back down to like what's your motivation again. Yeah. And using a platform like social media is just tricky because it's it's meant to be a platform where it's self-promotion and where we're building following. Wow. So then, of course, we're always broadcasting our thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's not really a place to share private thoughts and to just be neutral about who sees them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, I I wonder, you know, if you were to do a project outside of social media, if it would feel different, if I would feel different about it. This, but that's all I can say at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it, this, I feel the this struggle.
2: Ter- this term you used, Rukmini, excavating your emotions. Um, that's genius. That's a genius phrase, by the way, mm. and it seems like this is perhaps something that is um how would you say that is um sacrificed in the in the pursuit of of quantity like you were saying we we broadcast our feelings we broadcast our thoughts and we feel pressure to do that sometimes and actually activity like excavating one's emotions that's like quite a uh, you know, like a fragile state of being. And that, uh-huh. that, like, I, you know, if I was thinking about, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna spend this w- this weekend excavating my emotions, <laughs> I wouldn't like put, go live on Instagram for, for the weekend. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't want to talk about it. It's quite vulnerable, it's quite fragile. Um, mm. But it's essential for creativity. It's, you know, we have to dive deep, we have to excavate, we have to like actually look and, 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 you know, find inspiration to create, you know. Um, one thing I really want to kind of get your insight in as well, Rukmini, is um, the Enneagram mm. and how, like, I've, I'm, I'm lamenting because I've had so many opportunities to delve into this and it, every time it comes up oh, for really? me, it seems so relevant. I just haven't, like, taken the dive that I needed to take. So well first, perhaps you could inspire and watching to um like start getting a bit clued up about enneagram um but also like in relation to excavating one's emotions and then perhaps like you know choosing selectively what you do broadcast and what you don't broadcast um how does how does that affect proliferation and perfectionism mm-hmm. and um, how can we perhaps begin to see through these lenses of something like an Enneagram?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to excavate your emotions, the Enneagram is the perfect tool. And then mm. knows this. We're actually in the same workshop together. Yeah, and I literally, think that's when I was, first met you. Yeah, I think so too. And it's literally called excavating your ego. So maybe I, I stole that phrasing from them, which I think is perfect. Eef. because the answer, yeah, I know, what can I say? All artists <laughs> are thieves to some degree, <laughs> but um, yeah, the enneagram is is uh, the perfect explanation for for understanding our ego, for excavating what's deeper in us. Mm. Um, yeah, I if you look at my work, I do a lot with it. Um, right now, I'm doing a little series on the enneagram. I really enjoy, and I think back in 2018, that's kind of how I got a large following. Initially, like my first bump of of people who followed me was when I started doing a hundred day project just on the different Enneagram types and how they can Mm -hmm. be expressed. And I soon discovered there was like a hungry (laughs) fan base of people like undercover that I never knew that existed and somehow they tapped into my work. So that was exciting. But in a nutshell, I mean, the Enneagram is Like there are many personality typing tools out there. I'm sure you're familiar with Myers-Briggs and DISC and things like that. But I have just been consistently blown away by the power of the Enneagram and I still am. Mm -hmm. It's been a few years since I first introduced to it. Precisely because the Enneagram talks about human motivation rather than human Mm -hmm. behavior. So that's what's so fascinating because we see each other's behavior and it's kind of, it's a little bit easier to like t- type a person based on how they behave but the type of person based on their motivation is so subtle and so nuanced and and incredibly complicated and yet there's still a framework um, so the Enneagram is basically your blueprint. Like if you if you wanted a blueprint to how your mind works and the minds of others, it actually exists. And it's no simple thing. A lot of people want to just take a test and figure out their type mm-hmm. and it might bring you close, but it it really does take like years of just reading and learning about it and discussions and like living the mm-hmm. Enneagram framework. And it's been around for so long. It's popular and and different religious communities. I think it first came up in, in the monastery, I don't know, like even hundreds of years ago. So there's like a rich complex history, but all that to say that I, I believe I was really drawn to the Enneagram because, precisely because I love this kind of inner excavation, this whole idea of emotions. I think I was naturally drawn to it. Um, if, I, if any of you know Ross enough, from New York. Him and his and his uh, business partner, Hari Prasad, they really founded their their business based off the Enneagram. That's what they have been doing for the last decade. Um, I remember it was like four years ago, and I had my little book of emotions at the time, and I think I gave Rasanath and his wife a copy, and he kind of looked at me and he said, oh, you're drawing Enneagram types without even knowing it. I was, like, well, I was so intrigued. What does that mean? And so he was kind of saying Enneagram types, like these personalities, you kind of already have an intuitive knowing of them. But but imagine if you knew them deeper. And so I just like was so attracted to it. And so it really made alive what I felt like I was intuitively feeling about people and how I was drawing these emotions and very attracted to that. But instead of it being intuitive, it felt much more like a science, like a framework. Mm -hmm. Um, Also Mm -hmm. discovering my type was really interesting too. And it, again, it just teaches you more of like, why you do the things that you do? What are you afraid of? What do you really want? What what does your ego really desire? And mm. um, anyway, all that to say that it's very helpful, especially as an artist or anyone to just be, just to find your integrity a little bit more. Because I think as you both feel and many artists, artists and creators, there's always this push and pull between like authenticity and I don't know, like promotion or putting yourself out there. And sometimes it feels like they're conflicted like two opposites when I do think they can be integrated but it does feel like there's this opposite push and pull like the person who just wants to make the art that's truly full of substance and that's so attractive and you know that's so real and honest and then there's the other part that wants to like be really successful and be really well known by people and you know the ego wants to be drenched in fame and knowing and you know you can't deny it that's for sure there and so there is that very interesting inner tension so all that to say that a framework like the Enneagram helps mm. to identify, it helps to know, it helps to see it in yourself and others.
0: I remember when I uh, first came to know of the Enneagram, I was actually staying with Rasanath and Vindavani, and uh, I had met them like the previous winter in uh, in India, and we connected. We were on on, on a bus trip on the, on the way to uh, Mayapur. And we mm. were in this, in the back of the bus, like oh rocking and, you know, it was just a horrendous, like a place to have a conversation, but the conversation <laughs> was so meaningful. And, uh, and we connected very, very closely on that, on that little trip. And they invited me to come stay with them. So I was staying with them in New York city. And, uh, and I remember they just started asking me questions about, Oh, do you feel like this ever? And do you, do you ever do this or diagnosing you? Yeah. And I yeah. was like, how do you know <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I never told anyone any of these things like any of these motivations, right. these fears or, you know, and you, we just met, you know, and the, just the insight that they had because of the framework. And I think for me, the cool thing was, and you kind of spoke to this when you talked about like the science of it, it's, it was very, um, very inspiring to see that, wow, the, the, the mentality that I've kind of getting, it's like, I, I I oftentimes akin it to like, a car, like a car has certain mm. characteristics and specifications and features, right? So mm. in the same way, these human bodies have certain qualities and, and special features, and I know certain type of autopilot and whatever, mm, like there's certain type of design. And I think it, it gave me a lot of, uh, it was just very insightful, like, wow, there's the, the kind of vehicle that I'm inhabiting. It, it gives it gives clarity around, oh, that this is a vehicle. This mm. physical form is like a vehicle. There's, there's a, actually a lot of talk about identity
2: these days, you know? mm. whether it's race, gender, um, sexual mm. preference, whatever it is, identity is a huge thing. And I saw just something today. Um, someone was commenting about privilege. We hear this word, you know, like um, white privilege or, or whatever privilege. And you know, they this person was commenting like, privilege isn't like what you have. Say, you know, people think someone that has privilege has an abundance of wealth or wisdom or whatever it is. Mm. But they were saying it, pri- that's not privilege. Privilege is actually the um, like the obstacles that don't exist in your life, the opportunities that um, yeah. that you have that other people don't have, which mm. is. You know, actually a lot more subtle than looking at someone's bank balance or looking at, you know, where someone lives or whatever. It's like, you know, what opportunities, you know, perhaps present themselves to this person due to their identity. Hmm. Um, And it seems like something similar can be seen for, you know, you're talking about instead of looking at people's behavior, looking at their motivation. It's more mm-hmm. hidden, it's more um,
1: yeah,s uh, like subtle.
2: You know it's, it's, a, it's more subtle, but actually it's you know like the, uh, the iceberg, right? we just see the the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg, but the body of the iceberg is you know underneath the water, and so people often say, like to make real change, you don't want to move the iceberg from the top, right? It would be mm-hmm. a lot harder to move the whole iceberg from the top. You want to really go deep, and, and mm-hmm. like, that's how you shift the iceberg. So it seems something like the Enneagram is something that it does allow you to dive deeper mm-hmm. than, you know, instead of just seeing someone's behavioural traits, you see their motivation. Um, and that must be really healthy for for art. And it, it seems like that yeah. is something, you know, that can be um, unlocked if you want to become prolific in what you do. It seems like the, the two go very well together. Would you agree or?
1: Yeah, I was going to say for someone who doesn't know the Enneagram, uh, that was like very, that was very well said. That was a great analogy. Uh, I think it's it totally, it helps us to go deep to actually our deepest motivation of, of why we're doing what we're doing. What is driving us? And like you said, it's, it's the hidden stuff. It's all this like subconscious mm-hmm. things that we don't even know. And if only we could realize that we're being driven by all these motivations that we aren't aware of, what would it be like to shift that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember your question.
2: (laughs) I'm I'm just thinking because you were saying, like, when we talk about creativity like this, it's kind of mystical, and that can, Uh, you know, maybe that's not so attractive for for a lot of people. But actually, something like the Enneagram is like giving a science to the mystery almost. Mm. Um, So, in, you know, specifically focusing on being prolific, it seems like diving deep can unlock this potential to just be prolific, you know.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when I think of being prolific, though, I also think it can be so much simpler than what we think, you know, even earlier when you said, you know, to excavate our emotions, that seems really difficult. Like, how are you supposed to do that again and again? And I also feel like being prolific is actually... It's it's actually like a bit of an ego bash because the ego wants, at least my ego wants to be super deep and really profound and everything I do goes mm-hmm. there and it's like, nope, it's just sitting down and doing something that day and then doing it again and then doing it again. Mm-hmm. So when I just to think that it can also be that that simple, that just that consistency of like showing up and literally you almost have, it kind of bashes your ego a little bit Mm because the ego wants to do something really meaningful each day, especially the four, the Enneagram four with the three wing. It's all about wanting to be deep and authentic and also be successful at the same time. But I think being really prolific at what you do is, is really good for the ego in the sense that you're kind of just, letting that go that expectation Mm -hmm. you're just like you know what i'm almost not taking myself so seriously today Mm -hmm. i'm almost just showing up as best as i can i'm just kind of doing it because i said i would do it and i'm not getting caught up in my thoughts or in my feelings and sometimes those days where i feel a little bit more just you know free free from my own burdened expectations i just draw something and then i say wow where did that come from and Mm -hmm. i feel like that that is like the real place because then you feel this humility of like, that wasn't even me, where did that come from? Rather than like, I'm creating this amazing thing and I'm gonna do it day after day. And as an artist, I think you can feel really burdened by that after a while to always have that expectation to create something so deep and meaningful all the time but we can't and and i think the prolification comes when you feel like i just show up the creativity mm-hmm. is the genius that will somehow show its way and if it doesn't show it today it's okay i did my job i showed up tomorrow I'll show mm-hmm. up again let's see what happens and again i don't operate at this all the time but those little glimpses i when i do it feels like oh i get it this is sustainable otherwise this other way of working is not sustainable but this is to just show up like it's your job and and especially the artist does not want to have a consistent job (laughs) where you show up every day and you just create but somehow that humility of just like Mm -hmm. this is what i'm doing it's super simple is all it takes
0: i really like this point of um kind of the conception we can have around excavating our emotions. Actually, when I first thought, when I first heard you use the phrase, I thought about like an excavation site, you know, like an archeological site. Yeah. It would be very delicate, you know, like Mm. brush around the, you know, the old clay pots or whatever that's buried in the ground. So you don't break anything. Yeah. Um, But I, but I, I, I think also that, you know, oftentimes our emotions, you know, when when we when we have stuck emotions or in other words when our emotions have been buried by Mm -hmm. conceptions or kind of by behaviors or how we think we should be in the world right we're actually taking more energy keeping those things buried keeping those things Mm -hmm. underneath the surface Um, and i i think of it sometimes as like uh if you have a house and then you have tenants that just live there that don't pay rent and Mm -hmm. and you know you end up picking up after them You end up doing their dishes, you end up doing their laundry, and they don't pay rent, and you're too scared to, you know, ask them to pay rent or to kick them out. Right. Mm. So uh in the same way, our emotions, if you know, I've I have these emotions that are that have made their residence in my heart, but I Mm. haven't created a contract with them. I haven't recognized them, acknowledged them that they live here. They're just living rent free. And then I'm having to pick up the mess. I'm having to pick up the mess of, you know. When I, when I snap or when I get really depressed or whatever happens because I haven't acknowledged, made a contract, you know, connected really with the emotions that are living in my that's heart. That's such
1: a great analogy. Yeah, the unacknowledged emotions. Not even that you have to just kick them out immediately, but at least like recognizing them. They're
0: yeah, like, is hey, you live in. here. I live here. Let's like, let's yeah, work yeah. together.
1: <laughs> let's make it peaceful for sure. And I mean, how many kind? and that's why I coined the phrase obscure emotion because how many kinds of emotions out there that are so uh like what's the word ambiguous like all kinds of and like someone uh introduced me to the phrase ambiguous loss which Mm -hmm. I've been researching and it's it's fully yeah. there's a whole psychology behind that but how much ambiguous loss do we live with or ambiguous Mm -hmm. grief or or I mean there's just so much and I'm no ex like I'm really not an expert at this Mm -hmm. and there's so much that I have to so I guess excavate but I guess coming to the point that it can just be that simple and that's why practices like even journaling every day or how people Mm -hmm. do the morning pages and things like that people almost don't want to believe it's just that simple as a way Mm -hmm. to begin that healing that dialogue but it can be
0: I and one other thing that just came up too is that even by that showing up I, I also appreciate this point of humility that you're bringing out that by by showing up and just kind of um, rather than thinking I'm going to have to control the situation and control the scenario, which takes so much energy, which mm. takes so much energy to, c- to control. Um, you mentioned the morning pages and I, I was doing that for a few weeks and I, I, I want to go back through that process. This, this book, the Artist's way, because right? yeah, it's a, it's a I I could tell what a beautiful process mm. it was. And I wasn't in the space where I was like willing to just commit to it. So I want to come back to it, but, um, yeah that that mode of that mode of surrender and uh you know i think it's ernest hemingway they said how do you become a good writer and he says well you just sit in front of the pages and bleed
1: wow intense it's intense
0: but in many ways bleeding is a passive process it's ah. it's it's something that's coming from you right mm-hmm. and 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 whatever whatever's already there it's a, like allowing it to to come out Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I don't want to do yeah. a tangent so much but
1: No, I love mm-hmm. that.
0: It's
2: interesting thinking about um like going back to the the thought of clichés as well. Mm. And um yeah, it's it, it's really interesting how you can almost you know, almost you hear these things like talking about emotions people say cuz we are um we are um not shy to to share bhakti and art to spare, share our spiritual life and our art simultaneously and we hear things in spiritual dialogue and and literature like cliches emotions of visitors you should let them come and go things like this we hear we hear these mm-hmm. things in meditation language you know to be yeah. equipoised in happiness and distress mm-hmm. um. And this is very much like the yogi lifestyle. The, uh, the spiritual lifestyle is to be situated in the self, you know, the, the deepest part of yourself and, and not allow yourself to be swayed actually by happiness and distress or these emotions. But it, mm. it does seem like a very, uh, how would you say? It, it seems like a, a very confident um, move to actually address these things. Um, and these emotions and not just shun them, you know?
1: Mm. Um, Yeah, it's, sorry, I was just thinking that, I I feel like I I never had that mindset when I started drawing or going about this process. I didn't feel like I'm this really confident, emotionally aware, I'm gonna really do the self work. I don't know, maybe some people start like that. But for me, it's like, I just feel a little bit like a mess. And I'm going to just draw how I feel every day for 100 days. <laughs> and so I I share that because one, I want, it, I want to be more approachable. I don't want it to be like, I'm this like conduit of my emotion. It's just like, sometimes the most amazing things of substance come from just being in an honest place. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like my life was falling apart or anything. But it just came from from just wanting to be a little bit more curious about what I was feeling. So and yeah, I just wanted to throw that in again, that- to come to that point of simplicity of like just kind of like what are you curious about right now in your life and
2: do it I mean that's that's exactly that's exactly what um what I wanted you to say really because like <laughs> this, is, this is something I I feel it's like okay, I wake up today I've got to do something deep and I'm I'm sitting there like you know with some piece of paper in front of me or a piano or a guitar or something like okay waiting for something deep and actually it's like I'm just tired. Like I just feel tired today, <laughs> yeah. and and it's almost like no, that's ridiculous. You can't just be tired. Surely you have some complex, meaningful oh, emotion. Yeah, I love that. It's like oh, yeah, no, you are no, really. just, you are just tired and and hungry. um yeah. <laughs> you know. That's uh, it. And there's, there's there is something liberating about uh, like uh, being able to admit to yourself. You know that Mm -hmm. um yeah you are a complex being you know in a complex universe with complex relationships and many wonderfully uh, elaborate and diverse saturated things to share and say and communicate Mm. but sometimes it's also good for proliferation or perfectionism to just be honest and be like
1: Mm. i'm just in a bad
2: mood i'm just tired i'm just hungry you know and (laughs) art can come from that as well and it's not necessarily shallow, right? I I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong.
1: it's honest. It's it's just kind of being real too. And I I just made me think of the Enneagram Type fours because this is such a four conversation. Talking about, <laughs> well, all of us. Just
0: like, <laughs> we can we, like, we can
1: other people can relate with this, or it's just us. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like, really like this four go
0: universe going on right now. <laughs>
1: If there's anything the Enneagram has taught me, it's that other people do not think like me all the time. And thank God, <laughs> you know, Just, but it is fun kind of vibing with fours and our very unique problems of like, oh God, am I just hungry or am I having an existential <laughs> identity crisis? <laughs> so it's helpful to know like, oh God, my ego just really wants to have an existential identity crisis because that makes me a little bit more special, gives me good fodder for my art. <laughs> anyway, this is, this is where the Enneagram is helpful to call myself out of like, just stop, just be a normal person. Recommend you. stop being so profound all the time you're not mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess all that to say that yes being prolific is just kind of being honest and, and that's where the humility comes in because we want we want that really you know like juicy art that really deep stuff and it's it just comes back to just being where you're at who you are and creating what you have mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. in that moment-to-moment practice
0: authentic is most attractive
1: mm yeah mm. and authenticity is just honesty
0: too
2: mm-hmm. well talking about creating i actually have um some of your creations right here i have your obscure emotions um oh, i yay. was i was looking that's for the so book
0: nice. earlier that's why i kind of i, I was off camera yeah <laughs> i thought oh, i had
2: it in my bookshelf <laughs> so i just yeah. I, I wanted to show this like i i don't necessarily um maybe we won't go through everything but one thing i really do like to share, and I think it's inspiring for other people to see, is um, like um to hold something like this. The fact that you are, where, where are you now, in Florida? Or? In
1: Florida, yeah in Alaska.
2: So it's so incredible how an artist like yourself can pour their heart out into some incredible art, and then this is like the other side of it, like to actually produce something like this and consider mm-hmm. How to package it and how to ship it and how much it costs and how much money you're gonna make and you know all of these things like yeah there is you know there is perhaps a uh, a fear in people that artists can't be both um, creative and
1: and practical
2: yeah or
1: make
2: practical. money <laughs> exactly and so anyway I just I wanted to show this off because you've you've yeah. written a book as well and
1: yeah in, in terms of,
2: yeah in mm-hmm. terms of what you've actually produced and created physically that people can get their hands on um could you share w- with us yeah
1: well thank you for sharing that and it does bring to mind that yes there is this whole creative process which could be so in some ways philosophical and spiritual and then there is the practical part of it which isn't any less important and and sometimes we just you know, gravitate to one or the other. Some people just love the production and want to make stuff and sell stuff and have that. And some people love the creative part, but do not want to put themselves out there. And mm-hmm. and and I do think it's possible to do both. And, and for me, I always felt like it was very divorced. It's like one or the other, which one am I? Um, but I've been learning how to do both. And it's been really fulfilling. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm kind of in a place now where I'm you know after years of creating art and feeling like it was a little bit more than a hobby but it was it was something i was kind of churning out for years i'm i'm stepping into making it actually a business and how can i make this like financially stable for me and what can i create for it you know from it so that's both exciting and kind of terrifying because on mm-hmm. one hand of course the authentic artist feels like immediately you're kind of selling out when you make something like a product and you're promoting yourself which is Mm -hmm. nonsense it's it's totally natural to do that and then also just the idea of artists are not practical even though I I do believe now I'm a practical person but we just have that ingrained so sometimes somehow just by being an artist we feel like incapable of like Mm. you know managing our finances or like doing math or anything practical so anyway it's nice to kind of away those like preconceived notions and to, mm. and to actually create art that that does get packaged and showed off to people mm. and things like that
2: this like um i want to sh- i want to actually share some of these cards yeah um, like closely and i'm just thinking that um these cards actually are really kind of per- a perfect example of being prolific and perfect because just like the cards alone like the texture of them is like really nice and the way it's like come in this box and it's got a book kind of explaining things and like the way it's presented is there is definitely a level of like perfectionism but the amount of art here as well you know mm-hmm. this is just one, one deck of two um and how like how incredible all of this is and there is substance there is form you know there is like so much insight um it's been so nice to just sit down and like I don't think I've done perhaps what you intended people to do with them, but I have just sat down and just kind of looked through them and and uh, definitely done some unintentional like emotional excavation.
1: Oh, that makes me really happy. Um, What you're seeing is my graphic design self and my my illustrator self come together nicely, which is.
2: Let me just show some more and maybe you can explain as I'm going through these, like just a bit more of the process, like compiling sure. all of this art and working out how to make them into cards and and yeah. like making, making your prolific project perfect, you know?
1: <laughs> Definitely. Well, a lot of these were drawn back in 2016 in my first series. And a lot of it is what was in my book when I created it. A few new ones are in there. Um, I actually had this project, this whole idea of the cards sitting in my head for years because um, I just didn't have the time or the energy to make it into cards. But ever since I even put the art out there in the world, a lot of therapists, especially and coaches came to me saying, if these were cards, I would use it with my clients. You could do Mm. so much with it. Mm. Um, So first of all, this is actually an example of me throwing myself into something and having no idea how to use it or even, I mean, there are mistakes in it. There's like several typos and there's, um, Uh I could have, you know, probably given better instructions on how to use it. So either I can kind of beat myself up now and be like, oh, I could have done it better. Or my personal motto is better done than, than perfect. So although I like mm. the quality, there's quality here. It's not perfect. I see that there's mistakes and it could be better, but I just wanted to finally put it out in the world. And so last year when I was home all year during COVID, I said, okay, I'm making this this project come alive. It's going to happen. And so what I did is, well, especially being a graphic designer, it's, it's actually not so hard for me to put it together. I have the technical skills. I just uh-huh. created it in design file of the right format. I kind of put in all the images or if they didn't fit the format I would redraw it or use my iPad and do some digital art um, on top of it to like make it look natural and nice. And then I have a printer I work with overseas. I sent in dimensions. I I created like the box design and um, branded it which was really fun. I created a second deck. So there's 50 decks of illustration and 50 prompts which kind of worked my creative writing muscles a little bit. Um, And just gave options for people how they want to use these cards. Um, mm. So anyway, it was, it was fun putting it together. Marketing it was another thing too. I sent it to a friend of mine who's a photographer. I had her take photos. I put it on my website. I figured out shipping. That was the whole thing. Um, so there were just so many things I was figuring it out as I was going. And mm. that was both, you know, scary but empowering to just be like, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, you know, ahead of time. I might lose money with this thing. I, I printed a bunch of boxes that were blank and I was so dumb, I was like, why are people gonna buy this with a blank box? So then I reordered new boxes, I had them shipped over, I paid more, several hundred dollars for that. And, and I just kind of saw, like, yeah, the box, which I really like now, but it, everything is a it's learning so process. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, definitely a background in graphic design does help because my desire for branding and, and all typography, that all comes alive. So it's satisfying to brand my own products. I mean, um,
2: that, that's a really interesting point I'd like to um, ask as well before we finish about, like, people do feel this pressure to do everything, to be an everything person. Like, yeah. if you're a musician, it's like, okay, you need to be able to play every instrument. You need to be able to engineer, record, mix, master, produce, promote, distribute, right? And, you know, perhaps with art as well, it's like, there might be people out there that just like doing um watercolor drawings and that's yeah. that's all they know and they don't have mm-hmm. a background in graphic design or marketing or you know any of these things um yeah. so although it's like it's incredible that you can do all of these things mm. do you you know how, how do you have any advice to people who maybe feel the pressure to like oh, i you know i just want to do watercolor but i feel like i have to be on social media every day promoting myself and i have to create these wonderful things and sell them and make money and learn I how know. to use you know procreate or whatever it is like would, mm-hmm. is there any um
1: an yeah it's how? such a good point you know to be honest I don't know if I have any specific feedback because the way of the world is that yes you have to do all those things and is that unfair it's super unfair and am I privileged by having this background and having contacts overseas that I can print things and yeah I'm, I'm super privileged and that's why I can do it so I just want to point that out that it is kind of unfair not kind of it's super unfair that you have to be so equipped in so many different ways i mean how many video classes are there online where you have to learn video editing and and now everyone has to be a social media guru and it's it's just so exhausting and so i do feel that i am equipped that i can do it more and that's been really helpful for me but i do feel bad because i know that's a privilege that so many people don't have and mm-hmm. so i want to tell you just follow your passion and just do what you know you know lights up your soul and don't care about the other things but it's hard if you want to make money really out of your art because then you have to suddenly do so many and and i don't know if i have a solution to that except except if it's helpful to really separate your hobbies from your you know from your career if that makes sense unless you're mm-hmm. until you're ready to really you feel like you have all the skills to to really promote and put your art there in order to bring money um, don't do it immediately because you're going to burden your art with that expectation that this has to financially support me mm. um, be in a place where you can just create and not have that burden and again that's a privilege but if it's possible do that until you feel ready that you can so I again I don't want to it, it anyway it's a well it's I know I think that's wonderful <laughs>
2: I, I was going to add as well because a realization I've had recently is if you don't have the facility, the resource, and the skill, there's one thing you can do, which I've only learned of recently.
1: Collaborate? And the only,
2: um, yeah, basically, to delegate, <laughs> you know, to delegate.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: And there's, there's one downside with delegation, I found, which is mm-hmm. um, definitely the um, E. And, you know, like, I, I do want to um, be able to be an everything person, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes you do have to admit to yourself, like maybe I want to do everything, but maybe I'm just good at this and this. But there are other people that aren't good at this and this, but they're good at this and that, right? So maybe I can, um, I can collaborate with them. I can delegate, um, in in that way, and and actually, like you can you can make great friendships and and um, mm. build build community and and that's excitement a great solution too. <laughs> Yeah, but it's 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 painful actually to admit to yourself like- That's oh, the hard part, it's hard. I yeah. have to like let someone else do this, you know. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, wow, but you know, it, it kind of sparked this, this vision of like if we did have a creative community where you felt like you could really lean on people and people can kind of complete each other's skill sets in that way, yeah. um, how awesome would that be? And maybe, maybe it's because as artists either we want to do it all ourselves because our vision is so like kind of rigid, it has to be my way maybe it's sad or maybe because we're more isolated we don't really have that natural creative community i mean you can only do so much online so those could be reasons that we're not kind of intersecting in those ways and and helping each other out more which would be I, wonderful if we could
0: it, it just struck my memory recently um the celebration of Pranim, right in the mm-hmm. story of the chaitanya it which, which is this massive nine volume i think nine volume but a massive book and and when they were printing it they wanted to have art in every single one of the books so you had artists that were working and they wanted to print all of these books in three months so you have mm-hmm. stories of these artists that are painting and then you know they're painting for six hours and then they pass out because they're so tired and then another artist just comes in and paints the rest <laughs> wow. right where you Amazing know example. the yeah when when the and it's going to look different it's not going to always look like someone's literally completing your work but that mood of and I think it goes back to kind of this idea of prolific. Let me just show up and do something. Right. And, and let me let me recognize that that I'm a conduit primarily mm-hmm. for, for the creative energy that's that's flowing around me all the time. And, uh, and and I feel like if the more in touch I can be with that, the more in touch I can be with the the creative being a creative conduit, the more I can embrace the fact that you know, others, I, I can be supported by others in doing that.
1: Wow, I love that. And that's the perfect, I think the perfect way to encapsulate it all. Because when you're really prolific, you're not really so attached to your vision and the way it goes. They, they, I think there's more space for kind of collaboration and bringing people into the process. And, and it kind of makes me feel like I'm definitely not there, but that's somewhere I would like to aspire towards, where you're kind of just showing up in this mood of like, again, more of a service mentality, because you're... you're your intention is is something something bigger than yourself and and if that's the case then it doesn't matter inviting others and and putting it together because you're yeah moving towards that that service vision which is really nice
2: that's awesome yeah when it's like when there's an aspect of duty to what you're doing there's there's not the guilt attached to it actually having quantity it's kind of just like i've it's my duty to be an artist ever you know
1: yeah yeah very true
2: so uh, Rukmini, um, what's like, what's going on with you then? What can people, people can go and check out your Instagram. They can buy your cards. You have a book. Yeah. What, what, how can people connect with you? And, oh, sure. Uh, yeah, um,
1: you can just go to my website. It's dear Rixi. That's kind of my brand name, dearroixi.com. And I have a book, I have cards, I have prints on sale, um, even art workshops. If anyone wants to join me this Sunday, and I think next weekend as well, I that's another thing I started doing online teaching, which has been really fulfilling. So you could definitely mention. connect with me there.
2: I had the great privilege of attending one. Oh, whatever. No, honestly, it was incredible. My sister's an artist and I, I got to <laughs> um, draw my emotions. It was so profound, actually, because it was at the very end of 2020. It was like,
1: yeah, was it the timeline whatever? workshop?
2: Yeah, the timeline workshop. And honestly like I maybe I haven't told you but that was like transformative for me oh, like wow. I mean 2020 transformed yeah. everyone but being yeah. able to sit down at the end of that year and just digest and just look mm. at, like you know what hedge have I just been pulled through backwards you know yeah, <laughs> so true. Um, and it was that was so good so I would personally highly recommend attending Aww. workshops as well because uh that yeah that definitely transformed me and it shows the power of art as well definitely mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah. I, I, have, I have a confession to make i've always thought and this is it's a different topic but i've always thought your website was dear ruski
1: i know everyone rocking so.
0: rockin ruski and <laughs> rockin i was like ruski. i didn't know rukmini was russian but maybe <laughs> she is
1: maybe i'm just a very tan russian <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i knew what to do That it's 90% of the time people are like dear risky and I'm like I don't know how much I can keep correcting you yeah. but okay <laughs> so, but yeah people can find me there on Instagram um, I'm currently doing a little like mini Enneagram series which has been very wonderful I've, I've gone way too much absorbed into it as I usually do with the Enneagram but that's kind of what I'm drawing right now if anyone wants to check that out
2: that's awesome I yeah I highly recommend like anything that um as a listener anything that might be new to you any words or any concepts or anything go and check them out because um i definitely definitely. inspired to to dive a little deeper and um yeah very grateful for you as well for just being this like this person that is introducing these things you know not only into Mm -hmm. the world but also into like our bhakti community you know
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: that's that's super cool um and i was gonna say just before you finish as well like on this topic of um, delegating an, an art community, I hope take note, and I think Bodica in in general as a, a as a platform, um, I I hope it does evolve into a place where people can lean on one another and kind of um, seek solace or, or just like collaborate or or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think there is a thirst, uh, probably a global if not a universal thirst for. Back mm. to artists um, mm. to connect in in a way that they feel like nourished and supported and these kind of things. So um,
1: I love that. That's I think you guys are totally doing it. I'm super happy with what Botica is creating because it's like yeah, it's fulfilling. It's, it's providing something that people are looking for, which is like genuine connection, yeah. creative collaboration. So thank you guys. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Thanks awesome. for having thank me on board. You
2: so thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much for coming. Aww, thank no, thank you both.
0: Yeah, and, and I just anyone that is listening, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for your engagement and writing and questions and reflections. I mean, so many reflections.
1: I'm just seeing them now. Yeah, that's ah, very wonderful. So many wonderful comments. Thank you, thank you
0: Robert. Um, we are we're on social media. You can find us, Take Note Podcast on Instagram, uh, as well as if you have any questions or reflections or any anything you'd really want to get in touch with us about, you can email us at heytakenote at gmail.com. Hey, take note at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you and and your reflections from the from the talks we have a lot of really wonderful guests um, we
2: have some guests coming up don't guests. we, yeah. we have, yeah.
0: yeah talking about just that kind of universal thirst for for connection really wanting to broaden our ability to network and connect with artists and creatives um really around this universal principle of spiritual creativity and, and what, is that really, what does that really mean and how we can all benefit from that of, of kind of introducing a little bit more creativity into our life and and specifically into our approach to spiritual life. So we're very excited for all that's to come. So please do stay in touch. You can follow us on social media and like I said, email us. Thank you again, Rukmini. Thank you so much. For Aww,
1: thank me. you. Thank you, bro. Uh, Thanks to yeah, everyone yeah. in the comments. I'm just seeing them now. It's so lovely. Thanks guys for tuning in
2: so awesome let's do this again sometime
1: yes please i'm down for that
0: okay okay thank you all. all right okay let's see you guys you soon Bye. 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 Bye.